Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. What up, Nerd Nation? Steve here from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, or DNA for short, your go-to podcast for all things nerd culture. You want to know fun facts about the latest movies? Done. Interested in a new hobby? We've got you. Have questions and want to hear from the experts? Say no more. Join me and my crew every week to hear about our latest takes on everything nerdy and go on a few tangents on the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, where we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary. To tonight's episode. So we're going to be wrapping up Eberron month tonight with our class discussion into the Artificer class. We're going to talk about the class itself. We're going to dive into the subclasses. This is going to be the capstone to our Eberron month along with the class warfare with Mike from 19 Hits the Dragon that you heard on Tuesday of this week. Yeah. In the meantime, gentlemen, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. How are things down in the fine, lovely state of Connecticut? This evening. A good day all around. Pretty excited to get back to the recording studio and talk some artificers. Yeah. Um, Really looking forward to this discussion since we recorded our Class Warfare episode. I learned a couple things during that. Yeah. But there are some things that happened during that that impacted my play. Choices I made that had we done this episode first, I would have chose differently. I took several infusions that did not work necessarily well because I had selected magic items. We'll get into it. We'll get into that when we talk, start talking about infusions, because uh, I have thoughts on, I think, what you are finding. But before we get out of there, Mr. Myers? I'm doing great. Here to talk about sprocket artificers and all things yeah. steampunk gadgetry and exciting. Should be yep. fun. Absolutely. So, Not everybody on the show didn't hear this, but like you were saying beforehand, I don't have an awful lot to say about the Artificer class, and I think that's where I wanted to start this evening, is that the I enjoy the Artificer class. The Artificer class is neat. It does really neat things. It fills an interesting niche in D&D 5e, and specifically with Eberron and everything like that. And there's not a lot about the Artificer class that, like, bowled me over. Nothing left me feeling, wow, this is the most amazing thing. I wish that I could play one of these all the time. They are a neat class. They're a nice class. But nothing that really, like, really hit it out of the ballpark for me. But I'm interested to go ahead and hear what you guys think. Wow. Shots I'm gonna, fired I, I, at the I, Artificer. I, I, I know. Look, Josh's 
neutral comments are just that. They're neutral. Yeah. They're not naysaying. They're not negative. Yeah. They're certainly not high praise or positive, but nope. they're neutral. Yeah. I got something I'm just going to say to that. Everybody's opinions are valid. Yours are crap. <laughs> Sorry, I had to borrow Glenn's. I didn't think I'd get to use that word at any time during this episode, so I had to find a way to throw it in there because I don't think we've ever done a ranking without saying the word, this is crap. And I, have a, and I have a sense that that word's not coming in here. That's not true. <laughs> uh, at least it's not for me. I, I may, Unless it's something I missed or I just... All I'm saying is I absolutely love this class. I've never been the greatest biggest fan of steampunk i've always been intrigued by it i've always liked gaslight fiction whether it be gotham by gaslight or the nevers i've liked some steampunky things for the movie was something in sky commander and the something wings yep. of tomorrow whatever it was i've liked those things i love the rocketeer everything about eberron after i got over my original misgivings from back in my 3.5 days where i never picked up the book because i was a grognard who didn't want to look at a new thing shame on me wish i had played some eberron stuff back in the 3.5 days i've been told that is one of the shinier points of four point it was the Eberron stuff that they did produce during that time frame. But I love the Eberron stuff that they produced during this time frame. Long before I actually started playing Eberron, I was borrowing things out of the book because they all intrigued me. I didn't understand Arch. We knew they were on the docket. I was actually thinking it was going to be one of the last classes we got to. It was never on the front burner for me, but because of Eberron month, we pushed it up. And I am so glad we did because I really enjoyed the character I played. And mm -hmm. I thought, going into this that that was going to be one of my favorites as it turns out there's another subclass that's my favorite but it's a close the one i played is a close second i love this class and i like what it does i it has created so much creative energy with me and ideas there's more to come from me individually and one of my projects outside of ttj that i'm working on that is gonna lean into our artificer a lot so i'm looking forward to be really being really creative with this class so see, right. the thing about the art is it's a utility class. It's not designed to fill just one role. It's an operator. It's a little bit rogue and it's a little bit, a few other things with magic, but you got to remember that, because this is where I made the mistake with the artificer. At first I was like, what? It's just a, it's just another way to be a mage. It's just another way to be a mage. Why do we need another way to be a, like right? a techno mage? Exactly. But then as I learned about it, that's all wrong. Yeah. You're using the D and D magic system to create mm -hmm. your magic. But if you truly get creative with flavoring how you cast your spells, which you're encouraged to do with an artificer, you're not creating a mage at all. You're creating a gadgeteer. Yeah. Just if you were making a gadgeteer out of a supers book and you were trying to design Batman or Nightwing, you don't have to go martial artist or up close and personal fighting style with an artificer, but you can. Yep. Depending or, the on your or the gizmo tier from Palladium, Ninjas and Super Spies. A great class, mind you. So then you got a gadgeteer in the steampunk setting. So it might not be Batman. Instead, it Van Helsing in one of the movies with a gazillion different gadgets. But there's lots of ways you could flavor it to D&D. &D. And the magic is just how you represent the function of your gadgets sure. to a degree. Now, mind you, you do have you could be magic too. It's all about how you create it. But there is so much versatility to it that you can create just about any character concept in it. It's not as versatile as cleric, don't get me wrong, but you can make a tank. You can make a sneaker. You can make a ranged attacker. You can make a yep. fireball cannon guy. Yeah. It's got, there, there's so many pieces to it. Yeah. The only part of the artificer that doesn't truly shine for me, and I do dig it, 
but it's the magic item affinity thing. And that's only yeah. because in most of the games that I play, magic items are hard to come by. So it doesn't matter if I can, by the time I'm 15th level, attune to six attunable magic items now. Yeah. Even by 15th level in a party of five, four to six other people and the magic item drop rate that comes along, you just don't get that many drops. The Artificer makes their own and their infusions help supplement it too. I guess my piece there would be it's all it's all going to be about your storyteller and yeah. so, to some degree in terms of how you, the magic level of your campaign goes, but also whether or not they're willing to work with you on magic item creation if they have a lower magic item world because artificers are literally magic item makers. It's um, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I your point's well taken if I if there is Something to be cautious about with the artificer. I could still have an amazing time regardless. Yeah, and have a good conversation with your storyteller, DM, GM, because it's not that you can't have a good time if they're not going to go into tons of magic items or what have you. It's you got to know what you're going to get so you don't make choices that leave you hanging out there. Like yeah. you don't want to make a bunch of choices and selections based on playing one way and then find out your game doesn't really allow for that. Right. Yep. Or because of the way the game is set up, you're outshining other players. You want to shine, but you don't want to outshine other well, players. So you do need you, to be careful about that. The beauty of the Artificer is it's easy to help others shine because you can make the item to hand off to the fighter. You yeah. can make the item to hand off to the rogue. You can make the item that gives all these other things. Infusions are amazing in that regard. They're not things that you necessarily have to use. They're things that you can give off to other people to use. So that there are ways, if you're, if you take a holistic view of this class, to really make it work in a lot of different ways. But you do have to have that conversation up front so you know what you're playing. I was just say as you go through the basic abilities for the artificer class. Nothing stacks up to being incredibly overpowered, but there's some really interesting and cool stuff in it as you go. Aside from the infusions, which lets you do a lot of customization, just a warlock does with yep. their with the invocations. invocations things along the way, like Flash of Genius at 7th, which lets you add your intelligence bonus to pretty much any saving throw for yourself or someone else up to your proficiency bonus as a reaction, which is pretty hot. And the spell storing item could have saved our bacon in our fight. Yep. You can yeah. basically oh, yeah. store a first or second level spell in a non-magical item and use that to cast it 10 times. Yep. I had cure wounds at second level in it. Second so that was 10 it, yeah. second level cure wounds that we could have doled out if we needed to. Yep. It's a great utility class. It's got a lot of stuff to help you, depending on how you customize your character, you can do a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. And I absolutely agree with both of you that as a utility class... That's the niche that the artificer fills. And I do hear what you're saying, Glenn, that you can be, you can make a tank, you can make a ranged fighter, you can make an upfront fighter. I just don't think that the tank or the ranged fighter or the upfront fighter that you're going to make with an artificer is as good as the tank or the ranged or the up-close fighter that you're going to be able to make with other classes. So you're making a you're substandard right. replacement with an artificer in those roles. In our class warfare, where we had three artificers, we were able to go ahead and do the job just fine because we had three artificers. One of us was the tank. I was playing the utility guy. Lewinika, you were playing the ranged one. Everything was fabulous. Everything was great. But is that the tune that I would have preferred? If I was instead told, don't roll up an artificer, but roll up a tank, artificer would not have been in the discussion. That's absolutely right. not 
where I would have gone to go ahead and write up a tank. And because I was making an artificer, I made one. But not its bread and butter. So I don't disagree with your statement, but I think my thought process is this. Having been in Boy Scout units and military units for a large portion of my life, I don't think the idea is to be the primary in the role. But the range guy needs a second range person. Artificer fills that role sweetly. The tank might need a secondary tank, somebody to cover the rear flank. Artificer fills that role neatly. The cleric may need a backup medic, combat medic of some kind. The artificer can fill that role neatly. If you've ever been a player who walks into a store and there, or a convention and you wanted a character that can fit at any table, even if one of those roles is already taken, an artificer fits that perfectly. This actually gets you into that position where no matter what table you go at, as long as it's really allowed at that table, you have the character that can fit in with that party because you're not going to outshine those other roles because you don't have 18 billion attacks on your range and you don't have that alpha strike that a fighter has or you don't have that massive amount of healing or that laying out of hands that a paladin has. But you've got that spell storing ring. So when the cleric is tied up trying to do this thing over there and somebody needs to get up with enough hit points to keep going you can back them up by storing the right spells or planning the right spells. This is a great class. This is Scotty. And with Spelljammer coming up, I'm telling you, this with our en- our ship's engineer background, oh my God. Oh my God, this is good. Oh my God, this is good. So I'm going to totally put words in your mouth here. However, what it sounds like you just said is that if you were at a convention and wanted to play a character who wasn't quite as good as another character at your table, that's why you should roll up an artificer. And I'm just saying that, like, why would you make that choice when you could make that choice instead with a warlock and actually be a good one? Here's why I make that choice. And then I want Glenn to jump in because I think he's got an answer, too. And and hopefully I'm not stepping on your answer, Glenn. That's cool, bro. I've been role playing for a lot of years. And I get asked to play in a lot of games with a lot of people. You've role-played with me, and you've been at LARPs, and you've been at tables where my particular style, when I play a frontline character or whatever, can be intimidating. And I'm not trying to pat my own ego right here or pat myself on the back, but I can see when I play sometimes that people are settling back and not role-playing that much because they just think I'm going to do it. So sometimes... I just want to play a character to have fun and play the game, but support other people in growing their role-playing abilities and letting them come into the game. And the example I would be would use was when I sat at Glenn's table for his family game. I actually said most of this game is about our kids playing the game. I'm not going to jump in. I'm not going to jump all over if you need help or a question because he was brand new with 5e at the point. Let me know. I'll I'll. I'll, I'll if you ask me, I'll let you know what I know, but it's always going to be your decision or whatever. And so I would fill that backup role in that way. But at the table, my character was very subservient to the rest of the group. I specifically chose a character who was not going to be a leader, not because I didn't want to role play. And I role played the hell out of that character. But Daje was designed to be subservient for one, all the women in the group. And two, other players in general, he was there to support the others. I like every now and then playing a support role, and I wanted to do that. Okay. I can't stay quiet any longer. I'm sorry. You're both full of crap. You're looking at it the wrong way. No character is better than another character, okay? 
each character is different and it's the role that I'm choosing to play at that point in time. We get too hung up when we talk about roles in combat, like tank and healer and ranged, right? We really should think of it more about zones of control isn't even the right word, but if you're playing zone basketball, this is where you stay. It's more about where you fight from, right? So with an artificer, you can make a character that will fight at any of the spots. It will fight. It can fight frontline, whatever abilities it's using. It can fight midfield where it might dart in and out like a rogue, and it can fight ranged, regardless of whether or not it's using mundane or others. You don't have to be the tank. And when we're talking about a tank, you got two, you got so many different kinds, it's not even funny. You have a barbarian who can take a phenomenal amount of damage and deal out a lot of damage, but he's easy to hit. Or you can have a tank who's got a 24 AC and nobody can ever hit the guy. But whether or not he may stand there forever, but does he hit hard enough? Are you looking for a DPSing tank or a sturdy tank? It's all a matter of the party and the choices and the other people that are playing. I don't consider Sprocket a subservient character at anything. Sprocket's one of my favorite characters I've ever played. He's freaking awesome. He is awesome. So the Battlesmith, as an example, which is kind of it's kind of like Halley artificer. Kinda it gets like a Halley. lot of it gets some smites, it gets some it gets <laughs> some smites, it gets some auras, but it also gets its battle bot with that amazing reaction for deflect attack. So whether you're the main tank or not. If me and my battle bot are standing within five feet of you, Mr. Barbarian, so that I can deflect and add disadvantage on top of your resistances every time somebody attacks you, that's the role that I'm going to fill as a frontline fighter in that combat and still deal consistent damage like I, like the battle smith in our class warfare did. It's not about min-maxing out the strongest tank or the most damaging fighter or the most ungodly arcane cannon wizard of doom, guys. It's about creating a character that's fun and a concept that you're going to have a great time playing at the table, even if you're diving through swarms of books to tackle them and protect them from your party that's swinging sharp objects at the poor precious book. To be fair, that's better phrased what I was trying to go for. Me playing a support character is something that I like to do every now and then. There are reasons for it, because sometimes I don't want to steer the ship. Not everybody's the quarterback. I, That's I, okay. I very often get into that quarterback role at a role-playing table, and there's days I just don't want to. And some of it is because I want other players to have that opportunity, and I don't want them to feel crowded out of that opportunity. So I will make, take character classes and subclasses that mechanically don't allow me to do that because I don't want to be tempted because it is too easy for me to say this battle is going badly. Nobody else is doing it. I'll step up and do it. Let me flip the Arnold Schwarzenegger switch. Yeah. yeah. But I just and, find and that there, to be an interesting choice. I find that to be an interesting choice that, that everybody get that, away from the halfling. So yeah, think right. about it. Think about it this yeah. way. When you first met me in a LARP, what was I playing? A ghoul. Why? Because I wanted to be one. I play, wanted to play a character who was subservient. Two, I wanted to play a character who's a support character. Everything I did had nothing to do, had a lot to do with the main plot, but sure. it was basically in a support role. Okay, and there's, okay, there's also a lot of reasons to play a ghoul in a vampire lark, for one, that go beyond wa not wanting to have the cool powers that vampires have, thing one. There's a lot yes. of reasons to play a ghoul. I just find it an interesting choice that when you decide that you want to play a support character, that you are going to take a class that makes a statistically worse or a mechanically worse 
support character than other classes and that you are intentionally making that choice. I just find that an interesting choice. So, I mean, that's what you just said, is that, you're, yeah, you're, that but, you want something that doesn't have the mechanics to go ahead and be the leader. And, I just find and, that interesting. But I don't think a support character, specifically an artifice, is a worse class because, one, I enjoy its role-playing potential a lot. And flavor-wise, oh. I have zero issue with the artifice. Right. My, my issues are almost entirely mechanical with them. But from what I saw, with uh, once I learned a few things about it through not doing it well during the class warfare, I learned what I needed to learn to, to be able to do this. And the one thing I don't think I mentioned was Glenn is right. A storyteller's GMs, if people are going to be playing artificers in your group, you need to get the magic drops or availability in your game. I'm not, I am on record as saying I run or tend to run low magic worlds, but I do have lots of legacy weapons and things that require in the world that require attunement. So in my games, if somebody had chosen to play an artificer, now that I know a lot more about it, I would have to make sure that they had a few more opportunities to get those things. Right. Because um, having those does, magic but, items is part of what makes the artificer. Exactly. Cool. The ability to attune to the extra two or three things is yeah. something that nobody else is going to get. So you need to make sure that opportunity is and there. The right mix of things it's what is what's going to help yeah. finish making the artificer shine. That's one of its mechanics. So if they don't yeah. get those pieces or the opportunity to get magic items that do fit it, like the cloak of displacement that we that I took in the class warfare which made me very hard to hit, but they can attune to so many, you can finish fleshing out the character with your magic items and with their abilities, whether it's support yeah. or a main combat role. You just got to be able to get them in order to Yeah, that. and I found that there were some other kind of, some other hindering mechanics that would, that kind of to that end, Glenn, is like its reliance on and its use of various toolkits. I think that for me as a storyteller, I am very much looking forward to the episode that we have in the hopper coming up here soon, talking about how to, as a DM and mm -hmm. as a player, effectively use the toolkits that are in 5e. Because what I found looking through there is that for one, it has this dual dependence on thieves' tools, which I thought was an interesting choice because it seemed like it was like the we don't have a better set of tools to give them to do their thing, so we're going to make it thieves' tools or artisan tools. And the artisan tools category is so broad that it's I could choose a marble carving chisel as the artisan tools. And so that's such a broad category that you almost have to have an ability like they get at seventh when they have the right tool for the job because because as a class they rely on the actual tool the mechanical toolkits so much you almost have to have that ability because otherwise you can get power locked right where it's i have a power that says that i need to go ahead and do this thing and i need this tool to do it but i don't have that i don't i'm not proficient in that tool or i don't have access to that tool that's why that power exists is to go ahead and make sure that the, the class doesn't get power locked and i think anytime that you're writing a class that you have to give an ability a valuable ability slot at in the middle of tier two basically to ensure that character can continue to be played that is that speaks to me that there was a conception issue that maybe was not fully thought out when they were thinking through this or it's well telegraphing and not giving you the full basket of skittles before you get a little sampling earlier so you're going to be proficient with so many sets of artisans tools by the time you've finished building out your artisan that it's not I don't think that big a concern. I don't think that the toolkits limit the class in the slightest. I think what Tool for the Right do Job does is tries to finish fleshing out that I can fix anything 
Tinker vibe and lets you produce a super crucial set of tools that you may need to solve a specific problem, but you can't carry everything with you. Yeah. And I guess but, that's a third level ability, actually, not a seventh level ability. So yeah. I did misspoke there. Yes, it's early. It happens a yeah. lot earlier. Yeah. Which makes more sense to me, but still, that's yeah. still. And you can, and your spellcasting focus has to be a tool or one of your kits, but something right. as simple as a wrench or a tuning fork or an axe, yeah. those are all tools that you could use as your spellcasting focus. A sonic um, screwdriver. The, the toolkits are there. They're, they're more flavor and the ability to work your way around and to be a skill long. But wait, but it's not like you gain additional toolkits as you go along. You still are only proficient with thieves tools and one other tool, one other set of artisans tools. It's not like you Until gain you, additional tinkers. It, it, when you thieves take tools, your tink, yeah, and then at out and you get alchemist supplies if you're an alchemist, and you get smith's tools if you're an armorer, and you get woodcarver's tools if you're an artillerist, which is freaking weird. And we're gonna get to that when we get to the artillerist because that is weird, but we'll get there in a minute. And then if you choose yeah. a background guild artisan, yeah. you'll get another tool you, proficiency. Yeah, I suppose you get more tool proficiencies there too. Yeah, and, it's got four or five. Yeah, yeah. and then okay. there's a number. Right. There's a number of backgrounds that have tool proficiencies as well. Ship's engineer comes to mind. You keep mentioning the ship's engineer. It, it, it's like you wrote this on the spreadsheet that you think particularly one of these subclasses and the ship's engineer would work really well together or something. Like, With know. an autonome or something. He did write the subclasses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was his background. It's true. Yeah. So, so. But the background, not subclass. No, no, it's, so that actually, I guess that actually does make some more sense to me, actually. Now, when you put it that way, where you're getting additional tool proficiencies from other places, and it also... I think it also, it feels to me like it reiterates my point though, that the class doesn't stand on its own. It really needs it. You have to, and I'm not quite sure why this is, this is going to sound like a positive and I don't mean it as one, <laughs> but you really have to make a very well-rounded character to make a good artificer. Yes. And maybe that's more, maybe that's more what I'm harping on is that yes, you can't just like roll out of, yeah, it's a difficult build and not in the same way that like Blood Hunter was difficult, but it is a difficult build. It really needs to be plotted out very carefully and very specifically. And I think that's for my play style. I think that is exactly what it is. Actually, I just put my finger on it. My play style, I don't generally like doing that. I don't like having to know what I'm going to need to do for the first 20 levels in order to go ahead and make a satisfactory character. I much prefer allowing the flow of the game to steer my character and decide how that character is going to proceed and how that character is going to grow and how that character is going to develop. And it seems like with Artificer, that's a recipe for me to have a to not have a good time. And I think that's what I'm, what I'm queuing in on. And th that may be the case, that the artificer yeah. simply doesn't work for you. Yeah, And exactly. you know what? I mean, now, let's be honest. In terms of stacking up balance toe-to-toe -to -toe with other classes, bards don't exactly stack up power structure-wise, right? They don't. They're a support character. They're a support role like yeah. the artificer. They're just a little bit longer in the tooth and more, more accepted. But they also don't do any one thing. They're not a great caster. They're not a great fighter. Oh, I think they're very good casters. Depending on your college, your level, your spell list is more varied. You still are a primary caster, so you still get access to if you uh, take the, the right levels. build. Yes, but I'm not. I'm talking about the class in general. Yeah, it's designed to be if you build it right, just like the artificer. Don't be intimidated because it's new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I will say what you point out is something that you is something that you're not a fan of as far as plotting out. I naturally do that sure like just the way i play is to plot out my character's trajectory 
Yeah. And then I allow because I enjoy watching that trajectory change. But I generally enjoy the, oh, that's a great future version of that. Because then what I can do is actually save that future version for a one shot somewhere and play alternate universe. And, yeah. and I have fun doing that. I have a number of builds in D&D Beyond that are multiple versions of the same character with variant divergent points where I chose different feats or I chose a different subclass or a multi-class elsewhere or whatever to see, wow, that was a neat build that if I went that way. I, I, I have a great build that I with a character that went that used a barbarian and I had dual class that barbarian with the Drake Warden because I thought that would be very cool. So I went 10-10 to take that all the way to see how it would go or five and five to get to a 10th level character. Now that I'm looking at that barbarian uh, giant option, I'm waiting for that to come out so I can retool that same character and make him a, a giant build for his barbarian levels so I can take him and I'll probably end up taking him a little higher with barbarian before I switch over to Drake Warden because I think that would be a cool way to, to build that character. So there's different ways to do that. Oh, and along that multi-classing front, I think, and I'll just end on this because I know we have to talk rankings here any moment now. Uh, yeah, I'll I end on this. Say, as you felt, whatever you finally wrap up, I was going to say, why don't we drag it back to Artificer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say this about Artificers. In 15, 20 minutes when you're done. They make this. excellent multi-class options. Like I can see, I can see some nice synergy with an Artificer multi-classing with other classes, depending on where you go and how far you go in one versus the other. I wouldn't necessarily mix it with other spellcasting classes unless it was that spellcasting class is your primary and then you took the Artificer to get a few things to add on to that. But I don't know. I haven't quite worked it out yet, but yeah. in my head, I'm thinking uh, some infusions might be nice for a blade singer. I don't know. That's not no. And I think so. That's the what as a strength. I'm going to wrap up in a bow of, well, yeah, but that's because negativity, because I'm just, apparently I'm just in that mood tonight. Here's the thing with the Artificer. In general, their powers don't scale as you go through. They are static at the level that they get, and they never get better, because there's a ton of reliance on the fact that everything is keyed off of your intelligence modifier, as opposed to your proficiency bonus. We will see this as we go through the subclasses also, but pretty much universally through the Artificer class, it's you can do this a number of times equal to your intelligence modifier. You can do this a number of times, that kind of thing. It's all intelligence modifier all the way through, which means that it's going to be very easy to go ahead and, and plot out the stats because it's like you whatever your highest role is goes into intelligence and you max out intelligence as much as possible right off the get-go you you get it to 20 as soon as you possibly can possibly even when this might be the type of character that at fourth level instead of taking a feat i'm taking the asi to get my two points in intelligence taking it from an 18 to a 20 like that's the kind of character that we're talking about here i guess what i'm saying is that like you're right that does make it a prime candidate for a dip with other classes think about your battle master that you're dipping into for four for two levels to go ahead and get in infusions with artificer think yep. about your swashbuckler where you're getting infusions think about any number of things that i can multi-class into artificer but that doesn't make artificer the good class it makes it a good set of utilities but it's not a good class on its own if you need to be another class to realize the best benefits i hope i didn't Tell I don't think you do. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I hope <laughs> the audience didn't take what I said to mean you have to multi-class it to make it worthwhile. That's no. not what I was saying. What I was saying is it's very worthwhile. And as an added benefit, it's so worthwhile that if you're anything else, 
they will benefit by also having some of this. That's what I was trying to say. We haven't gotten into the subclasses. All subclasses were not created equal in the Artificer. But there are two out of four that I could sit down and play start to finish straight Artificer, have a great time, and I would bet you be a very effective character in the campaign. Possibly three out of four. Yeah, I would agree. The Alchemist is the only one that I do not think that I could play as effectively as I'd like it to be. I think that subclass is missing some stuff to be what it should be. All right. The Alchemist, I think I'd definitely have to mix with something. The The other three I could make work. All right, let's go ahead and take our break here. Then we'll be back. We're going to have a little ad here in the middle of the show here. And then we'll be back in a couple minutes. We'll start talking about those subclasses. So everyone stay right where you are. Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait. There's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level. Plus, Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DM's Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. So we're going to dive in here into the Artificer subclasses here. And let me say this before we begin. After my opening salvo here, where I bore my soul and said all the bad things that I found with the Artificer, my subclass discussion is actually going to be far different because I actually really enjoyed a lot of the subclasses. I think that they could be very fun. My issue with the Artificer is purely mechanical, I promise. So, so can, I think it could yeah. be, you think the subclasses are great and they could be fun, but Artificers suck. I just, I don't think, just I, I think artificers are a mechanically weak <laughs> class. Yeah. Okay. But they could be fun. Like we had a lot of fun in our class warfare. I, I, I was I just, just think pointing out the, the, the hypocrisy and, and contradictoriness yeah. of yeah. your own statement. Better or worse than Rangers. Asking you know, for funny. a friend. I, I actually, one of my comments actually said that they should, when they redo the Rangers and fix their animal companions, that they should look at what, some of the things that they did for one of the subclasses and said, this is how you should do it, by the way. Like we did with the giant UA, where it's right. like, hey, animal companions, here you go. You fixed it. Please give this to the Rangers. I had the same thought when we were looking at one of the artificer subclasses, so... Let's dive in here. So as always, when we uh, when we go through the subclasses here, we're going to go, normally we go in book order, but since all four subclasses appeared in the same book, uh, we're going to go in alphabetical order. So that means that we begin. Which is the order the, that came out in the book, still book exactly, order yeah. too. They are in appearance order. So we're going to begin with the alchemist. Let's see. I think we should roll initiative to see who gets to go ahead and uh, talk about the, uh, the subclass to begin. I'll stick with the initiative mechanic. I like it. I like it. Who's leading off the discussion uh, is not me with my ooh. natural one. Ooh, I got a four. Ooh, I got a seven. So if I roll a one, does that mean I'm just not allowed to talk about this? One? <laughs> that means you're out. So. You are out. All right, Mr. Miller, before you begin here, just to go ahead and go over our rank. It's been a while since we did a class ranking episode. So with four subclasses, we ranked the mechanics and the flavor of each subclass on a scale of one to four. And then we had a couple pools of points to go ahead and tweak the scores depending on how we liked them. One wild card, just a general category, and one upon our desire to or our our history having played one of these subclasses before. That's our, our rating here. Because there are only four subclasses, the maximum score for any one subclass is 18 so yeah and there is one 18 on the board that i can see so and a 17 so that's 
All right, Mr. Miller, now it's really yours. Have at uh, it. Here we go. So the first one we're going to talk about is The Alchemist. And the way of speaking, this is going to be similar to what Josh said, in that my comments are not designed to be a naysayer on this class. They are largely neutral. But there are things that I did like about it. This is this is truly a, the most supporty of the support characters that artificers can be. Um, the powers here are, in my opinion, relatively solid in that I don't think there's anything that is terrible, but I don't think there's anything that stands out. And I think they all fit thematically with what they're going for. At least uh, my view on this was it fits. But again... It does benefit from what I consider to be a strong base class. There are ways to keep this fun. If I sat down at a table and there were pregens handed out and it got handed this character subclass, I would be okay with that and could have fun at that game. Would I want to play this all the way 1 through 20 or 3 through 20? Probably not. At some point, I would look for, hey, can I multi-class out of this or can I take that Tasha's option and switch to a different artificer subclass? But that said, there are some things that are interesting. And I think that the powers will support the RP pillar of the game and the exploration pillar of the game more than the combat pillar of the game. And I think that's an interesting way to take a character class. Yep. I think that's why it comes off as mechanically less sound than some of the others, because in a game that claims to have three pillars, the reality is it primarily has one pillar with a heavy dose of a second at most tables. So I think that's its drawback, but fun overall. Yeah. I gave this one a one for mechanics. And again, that's not a one as in bad. That is out of the four, it was my least favorite. For flavor, I gave it a two because I do think it had it and I liked what it did. And I thought what it did matched that well. So it did a little bit better than one of the other categories. As far as wild card and willing to play, I gave it threes. I was like I said, my feeling on this was neutral across the board. I like the artificer class enough where I'd probably play any of the four at some point. And yeah. at some point in my gaming life, I hope to play in enough games where I'll get the opportunity to play all four. So because of that, I gave it threes for both wild card and desire to play. I will tack on just a couple of things to what you said there, because for the most part, I think that you nailed my thoughts on this subclass. Also, fantastic support tune in general. It's got some nice abilities that to help, but it's never going to be it, it's never going to be the shining star in your party. It's always going to be the one kind of supporting other things like that. I thought that the big flaw in this subclass were its experimental elixirs. I think that experimental elixirs need to be a whole lot more experimental to be called experimental elixirs. I think they they did not sing for me. I will say the one thing with this subclass in particular, and this is going to, I think, shock both of my co-hosts. What did it for me in this subclass was the spell list. The spell list for this subclass is absolutely on point, and that's why I really liked the flavor of this subclass. Mechanics didn't do that much for me. I did think that the abilities that they get at level 9 and level 15 when they can go ahead and cast Lesser Restoration and Greater Restoration as basically as, not free actions, but they don't need to spend spell slots to go ahead and cast those anymore. That, again, speaks to its benefit as a support tune, right? It's the one in that battle that if your Barbarian is frightened or your or one of your tunes is charmed or whatever like that, they're the ones that are going to be able to go up and eliminate the condition to go ahead and keep the battle moving along. So, Glenn? So the alchemist, what can I say about the alchemist? I can say that I really want to like it. Like when I first designed Sprocket, he was going to be an alchemist until I read it and read it and read it again. And it still wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. 
Yeah. <laughs> so here's my take. It's a nice comment, con- concept. But like you said, the spell list. Well, the spell list is groovy. And when you think about the concept of an alchemist artificer, I'm sure that some of these things, when they cast them, are going to be cast from alchemical creations, especially anything gaseous. Or, But I don't see as much support as y'all tend seem to be seeing. Healing word at third level gives you a little bit of healing, right? Mass healing word at ninth. You, you can still take healing with an artificer, but it's not exactly setting you up to be the backup healer guy. You're not wrong with restorative reagents and being able to do lesser restoration without slots and without components and without the slot or without preparing it. I'm sorry. The components will come from your artificer kit, number of times yep. equal to your intelligence bonus. But aside from that, for being the Johnny on the spot, the one that's going to be the healer bot of the alchemist party... I don't know, man. The other side of restorative reagents is when a creature drinks one of your experimental elixirs, they gain 2d6 temporary hit points, plus your your intelligence modifier. The Battlesmith at ninth level gets Arcane Jolt, where I can just straight up heal you. It's not yeah. temporary hit points. I can heal you for 2d6 as a reaction. Yep. And then the artificial, the experimental elixirs, you can make one a day for free, but it's a random roll. It should be a choice. It should not be a random roll for your free one because you have to expend one of your spell slots for every other one. So for that to be a useful support item for your party, if you've got a party of four or five people, the random one, who knows? Maybe we'll get what we need today. But if everybody needs a potion of swiftness for what you think you've got coming up, that's for your spell slots. That mechanic in my opinion, needs work. You should be able to do more with the elixir because that's the main thing you're getting. Yeah. Especially um, when they go away at the end of your next long rest, too. So it's not like you right? can go ahead and make a and bunch stockpile. of elixirs. Yeah, not like you can stockpile. Unless I think that I a different cap on that would be better. Maybe something like you can only have twice. You you may, you can only have your your alchemist level worth of elixirs on you at any time, or something like that. Something like that. You got to be the would guy who pass out leader. potions, not just here's one. I hope it works today. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think again that kind of speaks to like the funness of what an artificer can be. Like I have a mystery mm-hmm. potion. It it might it might it might make you bold or it might give you gas and I, I don't know i don't know what it does kind of thing that's i don't know it's i don't mind that either but that should be a separate one right. you should have the ability to do both i don't know and that's the other thing too is that when i looked at experimental elixir i said ooh experimental elixirs these could be fun but they're like that's not they're all positive effects i think that if they're if they're experimental elixirs then you know Maybe maybe there's some way to go ahead and work it so that the artificer can try to make a specific one, and then there's a difficulty, and it might do something different. You know, that I kind think of, I don't know. I think that takes me back to the discussion we had on Wild Magic when I was remembering Wild Magic from Second E, where you had this one hundred D one hundred table, and nearly everything on it was terrible, and I and that was my first experience with Wild Magic. Didn't like it, and then you look at some of the five E tables where it's almost a hundred percent good things that can happen. Uh, or then I'm like, okay, that's not it either. And then you get some other tables, depending on the power of the ability, that's like 100% wonky abilities. Like none of it is good or bad. It's just right. pointless. And I'm like, that's not it either. What you yeah. really need is a table that has a fair 5 or 10% bad, 5 or 10% great, 10 or 15% weird, and then everything else be something that's odd or but moderately good or useful. Okay, and, a second table for random effects. Yeah. Steam uh, uh, comes out of the character's ear for, yeah. Yeah. for the next it, it works. 10 minutes. It works, but this other thing happens. There's yeah. ways to do that I think would be mm-hmm. better. And like I said, 
it fell rather neutral for me overall, but that it had something like that would have definitely kicked it into the useful and much more well-liked. It would have made ranking the four of these exceptionally different, difficult because yep. I had a tough time with my top two, but the bottom two were easy because the top two were taken and then the other one was like, well, it wasn't that. I yeah. at least liked well, it a little bit more, so it was right there, and it made it easy to rank. If it had that little tweak that we're talking about here, this would have made a nice three-way, a four-way challenge. Yeah. Cool. All right, gentlemen. Dice to the ready, then. So we go ahead and discuss the Amara. That's a 10 for me. 11. 18. And Mr. I, goes again. I am Iron Man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I loved this tune when I played it at the Critical at Class Warfare. Just saying. The armor is a lot of fun, and it is sad to me that I couldn't rank it higher. And again, it is not because it's bad. It is simply because the other things shined just a bit more. I was a bit surprised that I knew you liked it, and I've heard good things about it. But I was surprised how useful the powers and features ended up being. I found it was effectively... Actually, how did I write that? There was one odd thing that I came up with, but basically... Additional attacks, never a bad idea. Tractor beams are cool, and they just <laughs> yeah. are. Get over here. If you get to say that in, in a, at a tabletop game, you're killing it. You're, you're yeah. killing it. And I live for those moments. This has so much potential to be fun. I'll let you and Glenn talk about the specific mechanics here or there, but, and I'm going to st stay high level with it. I just really enjoyed it. The one thing that I th found was odd was when it mentions um, mechanically that if you put on this armor, it replaces missing limbs. I thought that was odd and interesting because the game has no mechanics for missing limbs. Oh, you could, yeah. in the course of battle, take off a limb, then this becomes infinitely more useful. This moves it up mechanically in my book just on that basis alone. Yeah. But the game has no use for, has no lack of limbs, vorpal or otherwise, and therefore it's a fun ability that sounds cool that basically will never be used unless it's some rando NPC in town so you can look cool to the villagers. I can say that's not accurate, just based on my experience running games already. My very first game that I ran for 5e, I had an artificer who chose to deliberately create their character having lost one of their arms in an experiment during training. It was part of their backstory. But yeah, you're not wrong. And I'll be honest, I had the same thing noted, but the way I wrote it was the limb loss mechanic is purely flavor as D&D &D doesn't encourage maiming PCs is what I put down. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the arcane but, armor is weird in general. Sorry not to jump on. I'll, I'll let you continue in a second. But the arcane armor is interesting in general because you can take it on and off yourself, but, but basically nobody else can, which is interesting. It magically alters the suit, too, so you can retract and then restore the full face visored helmet as a bonus action. Yeah, I, I, it is I, absolutely Iron Man. You're absolutely yeah. right. So, yeah. and I mean, it is, and I'm going to let Josh cover the mechanics more because he actually played it. I'm betting yeah. he's got more to say on it. But I thought it was super groovy. I had the limb loss mechanic. I said that I think it needs a third armor model, like to go with the three. It should have the three zones of combat built into it. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So... The one I came up with was I liked the idea of maybe a Titan model that you uh, a Titan model that uses a rocket propelled great weapon or something that's like that. Geared for melee combat, absolutely. That's I think geared for melee. Yeah. yeah, that's John Henry Irons as Steel yep. from DC Comics. Yeah, I was specifically yeah. thinking the Mall. Yes. Yeah, and Ooh. the armor mods is hot. Yeah, I've getting the that. ability to split out your armor into different sections for the armor infusions is wicked yep. powerful. That so is I cool. I could see yeah. it coming out to be like 
creating that melee tune could be pretty hot. But I thought that the capstone perfected armor, it needs more punch. It seemed a little lackluster. Yeah. Let me go backwards and take that point first. The arcane armor itself is so strong thematically throughout this subclass. This was actually the subclass that I ranked highest for flavor because of how integral its mechanics are to establishing what the armor is. But you're absolutely right that the capstone... Again, it has the two paths that you get earlier. It's got the Guardian Path and the Infiltrator Path. Yeah. The Guardian Path is far superior to the Infiltrator Path on this, if you think about the kinds of things that it does. G- Guardian, when a huge or smaller creature you can see, huge or smaller creature you can see, ends its turn within 30 feet of you, you can use your reaction to magically force the creature to make a strength saving throw or basically be sucked to you so that you can continue to beat the crap out of it. Not only can you do that as a reaction, but if you pull that creature within five feet of you, you can then attack it as a reaction also. So it's the Mortal Kombat get over here power, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Versus Infiltrator, which is basically that you can do some extra damage. Which extra? I'm never going to go ahead and say extra damage is bad. It's just not as good as the Guardian power, especially from a flavor point of view and from a mechanical point of view, not as great either. But in general, I thought that the mechanics for this class were great. I really did. I thought that they were just fantastic all the way through. I thought that when you got the earlier one with the the earlier armor model at third level, I thought that both the Guardian and the Infiltrator path were equally strong, that they had a lot of really great things with them. I played the Infiltrator, and you're absolutely right, that, that little chest plate lightning bolt thing like i had a lot of fun with that and it really gave some versatility i could do things close to support you guys while also blasting downfield and getting some salvos off so it really added some versatility to the tune i was gonna say this of the subclasses that work well in a multi-class way i like the idea of this and a graviturgy mage because that top level power with some of the things you can do as a graviturgy would be exceptionally cool because yep. could you imagine use your gravitage ability to push them away and then because they ended up 30 feet away then you get to drop the extra attack that's kind of hot oh yeah it you works know. well with some of the battle master maneuvers also or it works yep. well with, with someone that's got polearm master or something like that yeah. too where it's like you get additional what's the is it polearm master that gives you the attack of opportunity if they come within fu- melee but range they have of you to choose that movement if they're dragged or pushed oh, yeah. that okay. that doesn't Trigger and that. this takes your this takes your reaction anyway, so it's already, yeah. that's already being taken. But, but yeah. if they're if you're in a ta- in tandem with a group, then having a battle master and one of these next to each other means you can put them out, you can drag them in, then you get to hit them, and then when they go to do something, then the battle master can do something to add on an ability that does the push because they have that that's a maneuver yep. to push them back out on the yep. battle master's turn. So again, there's just this yep. neat little thing where you could get this ping pong with your bad guy where they're, they don't know where they're going to end up. And I think that's yep. kind of, I envision that as being pretty cool. All right. D 20s to the ready. Let's hope that uh, Mr. Myers here can roll over a 10. That'd be nice. I'm going Six. for the trifecta. I want to get all, th- get a nine. One. 16, 17. Oh, son of a bitch. All right. Take it to the house. All right. All right. Here we Have go it with the artillerist. So this Please is the justify. One. Yeah, I know this was the one for you. Yeah, it's- this is the one that I played. This was originally my top dog here in this particular fight. But here's what I'm going to say. Boom, baby. Eldritch cannons are so much fun. I had a blast. I will admit oh. there's some wonkiness with. Had a blast uh, with, the Eld- with yeah. the Eldritch cannon. Yeah, yeah. I went there. Yeah, I had right. some wonkiness with which Eldritch cannon I was going to select and how that worked in D&D Beyond. So some research should be done. When I say research, 
just read up on it so you know what you're selecting and you pick the right thing for your situation and your when you're playing at your tables. But beyond that, this was just a lot of fun to play. Uh, it worked out very wonderfully. And I did have some misgivings about action economy. I was worried about that. But I found in gameplay, that was not an issue. I did not feel like I was trading off too much. The one issue I had in class warfare was I wrongly selected magic items because I didn't realize at the time infusions only worked on mundane items. So the infusions I selected worked with the weapons and items I had. However, they were already magical. So I had a bunch of infusions that didn't get used during the game, during the session. So just be aware of that interaction. It takes a mundane item to use your infusion. So you got to make sure whatever magic items you pick, they're not the things that you're going to select infusions for. Unless you're going to choose those infusions to give them to other party members. Because we were all playing artificers and we all had infusions, that didn't work out for me either. So just be aware of that when you're constructing your characters. But aside from that, so much fun. I definitely think this is going to be wonderful to play in a Spelljammer game. I can specifically think of Spelljamming Ship and playing Half-Orc or an Orc Security Officer with these abilities. And I'm definitely thinking in a style similar to Commander Worf. I think that would be an awesome character to play on the deck of a Spelljammer. So you've mentioned this a couple of times that you think that this goes well with the ship's engineer background. Why is that? You know, what is I the think, synergy there? I think the Battlesmith goes with the ship's engineer. I'll, I'll, I'll hold my question until the next one then. Yep. That's okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah. I. So I think that the Eldritch Cannon is very cool earlier. It's got a really a, a lot of really nifty things. It has some weird rules. Glenn, you'd mentioned this earlier about the woodcarver's tools and how like you can make the Eldritch Cannon with either woodcarver's tools or smith's tools. Here's the weird thing is that if you're an arm, if you're an artillerist, you get proficiency in woodcarver's tools and you get the woodcarver's tools. So why you would want to use Smith's tools to make your Eldritch Cannon, like why that's there, I don't know. It just, it feels weird. Like it, it maybe if you think that Smith's tool, like Smith's tools make more sense than Woodcarver's tools anyway. So maybe Woodcarver's tools were the wrong tools for this particular subclass, but that's, it, that's a little bit of weirdness in there. I, I, it just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, but here's the thing with the Eldritch Cannon, right? Is that again, very cool earlier, very powerful earlier, very helpful earlier. We demonstrated that in the class warfare. Absolutely. However, explosive cannon, the one where basically you can trot your cannon up and make it explode, it's not strong enough. For ninth level power, basically you get an additional D8 worth of damage. That's not a lot. That's not a lot. For something that you then need to go ahead and basically to burn a spell slot and uh, to go ahead and recreate it again, it just it doesn't do enough to go ahead and make it losing the cannon worth it. I was hard-pressed. I could think of some scenarios where it's, oh, you're like, you're rushed by 20 kobolds or whatever. And I could so I could think of some scenarios where it would be useful to have it explode, but it also seems like the cost is really high for what you're going to get from that. The other thing that I would say about it is that at 15th level, when you get fortified position, there's a lot of things in that make it sound really cool, but I think that gaining half cover at 15th level isn't very much. Because if you think about, actually, at, when we did the class warfare, Limonika, you called half cover from your Eldritch Cannon where you did not have that ability. So that's why I was surprised myself. I was like, oh, wait, you have to wait till 15th level to claim half cover from your Eldritch Cannon? Like, that's That seems weird. To be but, clear, I called half cover from the terrain. And I, I called said, half cover from my from, robot, which is oh, not the cannon. It's a yeah, medium-sized okay. creature. Right. 
Yeah, cool. No, I, so, I, I appreciate that. So we both took half cover, but we did it in different ways. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I was okay. well All aware right. I couldn't take it behind the cannon at that stage. Um, Fair enough, then. Fair enough, then. I, think, I, 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 I will say getting two cannons at 15, though, that's hot. Two that's cannons, hot, one bonus hot, hot, action. Hot. Yeah, Hot, hot. Yeah. So for the artillerist, I do like the artillerist. And the version of Sprocket that I am playing on Sunday is an art, because that's the original subclass that I had chosen with him. I just tried the Battlesmith with this one because Lee Wanika had already chosen Artillerist, and I liked the Battlesmith better. We'll get to that one in a minute. But I did enjoy the Artillerist in general. I think it's got a good list of spells to go with it. Basically, you're saying you're going to be the Arcane Cannon, and that's what it's got. It's got Scorching Ray. It's got Fireball. Yep. Uh, it's got Ice Storm. It's got Cone of Cold. Yep. Strange. Yep. Yeah. The Eldritch yep. Cannons, I think... The Eldritch Cannon, I think, is cool. It, it's a bonus action to attack, but it's not a bonus action rich class, except for a couple of spells, possibly. Yep. It's not so bad to get the extra damage for your bonus attack. At 2d8, potentially not so bad for earlier levels. When you get Explosive Cannon at 9, it adds a d8, but that's making every single shot with your cannon now 3d8 with the Force Ballista. So it's not bad. Is it great? No, it could be. It could theoretically be bigger. But it, it is pretty you. hot for a bonus action. So think about what a fighter's right. bonus action right. is. Bonus attack. action attack, and you're going to get now 3d8 instead of 2d8. A and on every creature within 20 feet. So I suppose no, no, that's... Oh, no, 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 no. I think, Josh, yeah. I think you're mi missing you're that. You're misunderstanding. The yeah. first part is it's it just increases the damage die of your cannon. Point one. Point two is if you make it explode, then it explodes for 3d8. Uh, but it's actually okay. 3d8 to shoot. It gets okay. that... It gets that D8 added onto the damage from the original version every shot. Okay. So That's your flamethrower yeah. now does right. 3D8, yep. your force ballista does 2D8, and your protector does temporary hit points of 2D8 Yeah. instead of okay. 1D8. So that, that makes it a little bit better. And the explosion thing, if you're in the right situation, heck yeah. It, it's a portable AOE bomb. Move it up there shooting people, boom. Because it it'll cost you an action door. and no other resources to recreate a new one. It's an action, which is expensive. Yeah. But it doesn't cost you anything else to recreate. That was the, a spell slot, too, to go ahead and create it. Is it a spell slot? You can take an action to magically create an Eldritch Cannon in an unoccupied space on a horizontal surface within five feet of you. Nope, I guess not. Okay. There's no spell slot involved. Yes, you can do one once you create it. You can't do so again until you finish a long rest or, or until you expend you a, spell a spell slot. There we go. So okay. you could potentially lose a first level spell to bring it back. But okay. You're trading that's, a first-level spell for 3d8 and a 20-foot radius that, for a that, 3d8 that's, fireball. That's pretty cheap. Yeah. So overall, I think that it's a great subclass, and it's got a lot of potential to it. The wood carving tools, I think, is weird. I don't think it should be wood carving tools. I think it should be tinker tools. You're making small machines. Yep. I would agree it's a bit odd, but wood carving tools, I'm, I guess I'm okay with because, like... They're desperate a, to give it some form of use in the game beyond I have a character who likes to carve wooden figurines. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. That's the weirdness with the tools in general with the game as a whole is right. that they're weird. <laughs> the one thing that I think could make this, this subclass better is if you did away with the summon, the easy summon. Let's make the Eldritch Cannon a new version of the Homunculus as a permanent companion. Where each day at dawn, you can modify its function to change it to three different things. Yep. Takes an hour or something like that to change yeah, its function. You have to retool yeah. it. And now it, you can have all of its stuff scale off your proficiency bonus with its own stat block and still give it some special abilities for each function. Yeah. I think that's the better way to have gone with this as opposed to the throwaway companion. But they didn't. So, meh. And I thought that the capstone was really cool too. Two cannons, one bonus action. 
last one well, that, here, that, that, the Battlesmith. That, that, that was my two. Yeah, you picked up on it. Good job, John. I did. I saw where you were going with that, my friend. <laughs> Battlesmith. What do you got, Luanika? 16. 17. Dang it! I almost had it. 15. All right. I will pick up the rear on this one, but Mr. Myers. Battlesmith. The initiative is yours. Battlesmith, baby. Take it away. Word, the first part of my note says Mecha Pally. Yeah, it's a paladin. Right, it really is. The Battlesmith is awesome. This is what I played in the class warfare, and it was so much fun. If you do it right, this is the guy who is going to get, who's not the main tank, but he's still going to get to a 22 armor class because that's what Sprocket the Battlesmith had by the time it was done. Because the Battlesmith also gets extra infusions, even though they don't get to break it down like the armor does into individual armor pieces, you can still put increased armor class. It's one of the my favorite infusions because at 10th level it increases to a plus two plus one and then a plus two so by the time we we're playing he was wearing plus two half plate nice that he made himself yeah but on top of all of the pieces that you get from that you can get from just the extra infusions in the ways you can really deck yourself out with that it's spells and auras are set up it's spells are set up with smites and auras like a paladin it functions great on the front line because you get proficiency with medium armor not heavy like the armor but medium at least so again you get the half plate and then add plus two on it and you can manage to work your stats enough to have some dex bonus you can get up there as i said I, sprocket was a, oh sprocket also used a shield made it to 22 but i love the steel defender the steel defender is what makes the battlesmith yep. in terms of a companion it is awesome and you could give this fur and make it a ranger companion if that's where you oh, were at josh please this is exactly what i was thinking exactly yeah. please and thank you please yeah. give this fur <laughs> just or leave it metal yeah. and give it to a warforge a like warforge battle for a, a warforge fair enough yeah. but its ability for de deflect attack for a reaction yeah. and it can oh, take fantastic. its own reaction. So every round as a reaction, it can impose disadvantage on the role of one creature, one attack roll against a creature within five feet of it, whether that's protecting you or one of your companions, yep. whoever's getting hit, it's reaction doesn't burn yours. The artificer yeah. still has their reaction yeah. to impose disadvantage. That was so that, hot and so crucial so in crucial. our fight. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You have to listen to the episode to go ahead and get the full effect. But yeah, the, that, that little steel defender. That it made the had, difference. It really made the difference. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And then yeah, when yeah. you get to add Arcane Jolt onto it, either things that you do or the steel defender does, where you can now add additional damage at ninth level or heal 2d6 hit points to anybody within 30 feet of you. Yeah. Loved Arcane Jolt. Number, yeah. It's... Yeah. That also I, came in handy and did a, a, quite a bit of healing that kept Josh's artificer from going down at one point and then yeah. Sprocket himself as the, yeah. they switched targets and started hitting him. So all in all, I think that the whole class, it's got the strongest mechanics. It's got the strongest, honestly, partially, I'm going to say I'm biased because I loved playing it as Sprocket, but I ranked it highest in flavor. Though I got to say, flavor for all of them, all of the artificers are oozing flavor, even the alchemist, which is my least favorite. And it's just I got to rank them one to four. Yeah. Yeah. The flavor was tough. You're right. I found this one, and Luinica, after I ranked mine, I read your comments about where you pulled the flavor from. And I hear what you're saying, but I, that didn't do it for me. But I, but I do also acknowledge what you said about the flavor on this one. And we'll get to that in just a second. The uh, only thing I found underwhelming, yeah. just to wrap up what I had to say, and then I'll let the next guy take it away. Yeah. In the capstone, I thought everything about it was great, except that if the, the deflect attack ability, which is already awesome, if it's going to pick up force damage, I'd rather see it a little bit better 
at 15th level yeah. in a D4 plus intelligence modifier. It's nothing, yeah. D6 plus yeah. proficiency bonus, maybe. Something that scales a little better, gets you up over over right. the 10s. Exactly. Uh, that, that's, my only, that's my only, only critique of, hey, this could be a little bit better. I love this subclass. Yeah. All right, Mr. Miller. All right. So first of all, the flavor here to me rests solely within the discussion of House Cana. And this is going to take me back to the Class Warfare episode, our discussion with Mike from 19 Hits of Dragon about Eberron in general and everything I've learned and the stuff I'm leaning into with the game that by the time this airs, I believe I will have already run, if I'm correct. But uh, at Drinking and Dragons, great local convention that I go to or we go to. As it comes up, we'll continue to let the audience know about it. So if you are in anywhere near Connecticut and can get here for the event, you should do so. It's a lot of fun, benefits, great charities. But And that's the fact that this is rooted in Eberron and rooted in the details of House Caneth. So for those who listen to Eberron episode or are familiar with Eberron, I don't need to say much more. For those who are not familiar with Eberron, the various Dragonmark houses, House Caneth is the house of creation. They're the magic users who build things. It, it, they are the ones who are behind the creation of the Warforge and the use of of the Warforged in the last great war and the wars that came before. And so there's a bit of that built into this. So you can think of Warforged as the epitome of the Steel Defender that became autonomous sentient beings at some point in the distant past. And now they're, the House Caneth is back to making smaller versions of it. And I think that is really strong flavor and it's deep into Eberron. So if you port this into other classes, you have to find other ways to deal with that. But wow, I like that. I just love that history that's built into this character. And at the end of the day, I love Warforge a lot. So dealing with the subclass that is from the house that built one of my favorite character lineages and one of my favorite all-time characters, that that <clears throat> sings for me. That's where I got a lot of the flavor from. Battle Ready in and of itself, fantastic feature. I loved it. It sounds crazy. But a little thing, and I'm going to bring it up here so I can read it battle ready. It sounds crazy that it is, but this is a half spell casting class that now has proficiency in martial weapons. And with now the intellect they, bonus. Yeah. And now they get to use those weapons with their intelligence modifier instead of dex or strength. So when you're constructing this character, if you're going to go this route, you don't have to worry about. What's my secondary stat really going to be? Do I need to make it yeah. strength? Do I need to make it dex? You can build this character straight up intelligence constitution done and be exceptionally solid and effective because when you get to using your weapons it's all over it's nothing left but the crying you've got weapons that are going off that bonus josh made the point earlier in the episode this is one of the few times where i'm like i might take the two asi to get to 20 as fast as possible yeah i have been on record as saying i don't take asis often and Not usually, early for sure, and, yeah. And usually only when I'm playing a fighter because I finished my build and I still have an extra feat or sometimes two. And as opposed to loading up complexity yeah. that's hard to remember at the table, at that point I'll take the ASI to beef up my other things. This is one where I'll do that in the exact opposite. I'm going to start off by going for that max. I might even take the first two feats and go ASI, get my constitution, get my get my intelligence up to 20 if I could, and then go from there. And then yeah. start I mean, looking if you, at other If you're abilities. doing point by, it's pretty easy to. It's not easy. It costs a lot to go ahead and start with two skills at 18. However, what else do you need? If you get intel, if you get intelligence, if you're at fourth level as a battlesmith and you have your intelligence and your constitution 20, yeah, at fourth level, 
or even that's pretty unlikely. Well, you can't get them both to twenty by fourth level. You can get them at twenty by eighth level, and then by eighth level, you're getting you're just about to get arcane jolt. Like you've got the extra attack. You've got your you've got your minion there. It's a really strong build. It really you're very, very singing strong. a lot earlier than a lot of other classes can sing. Yeah. That's a yep. that's for dang. <clears throat> and then I will go on to say my last bit on this is I love the fact that the ship's engineer background and this in my head works really well like this i want to build an autonome battlesmith and have them be the ship's ship's engineer one there's so, so what, what is it about with the ship? wrench and helping yep yeah yeah so what is it about the ship's engineer background that you think works well with this one i think a ship's engineer on a spell jammer is cool but two i think the battlesmith and running around with the, the various tools that you get to use and you have and you're using I think would be very good. You can use our engineer kit that we built for the Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. So you're going to be very useful in the ship and exploration piece in that you're helping keeping the ship run. In any kind of combat or boarding action, you're going to be useful because battlesmiths are freaking useful, as Glenn proved in the class Warfare. And I just think as a character and role-playing concept, autonomes are interesting and unique. When we first saw those when we were playtesting, and that was one of the options that we could have picked, I almost took an autonome. I went with the Astral L because I didn't have a concept that was really going to make that autonome sing. I didn't want it to be goofy. Oh, I can possibly fix this. I didn't want to do that. That was too tropish for me. But I thought because I didn't have a class that would really work with it. I'm like, cool. I made mechanical Mario. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> every time you bound on, you'd be like, "It's Mario time!" Clank, clank, you know, clank, like clank. a badass Pinocchio over there, yeah, something That's like that. Yeah. But because I didn't have something to pair with it, I didn't want to go. Now I'm like this, and the Battlesmith, because the Autonomes do that tinker thing. They have those error kind of things. I'm like, that would make a great engineer. I can really think there's some great role play with. Oh, we got to get a little more speed out of this thing, and I can go in down there and try to do a Scotty thing and get some more speed. There's that drama of. Am I actually going to make it better? Am I going to get a little glitchiness with how I'm fixing it kind of thing? And But the Battlesmith, just, to me, just works with that. And that's a character, as soon as I can put it into D&D Beyond, I'm building. That's a bad boy. Let us go down then through. Uh, so you guys have basically covered every point that I wanted to make, so I'm not going to rehash it. Well, it's your turn to <laughs> talk, so you got to say something. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk I'm going to talk about the scores. So uh, in general here, if we look at the, <laughs> what else could I add that you have not already said at least once? Looking at the scores here, you guys both ranked the Battlesmith exceptionally high. I ranked it high, not quite as high as you, did, as you guys did. My number one was the Armorer, which you guys also ranked above 10. I think the scores here are in a pretty pretty narrow band, right? Even the lowest ranked, so the lowest possible score for one was a four. The alchemist ranked lowest when you average them out to just over nine. So they're in that like 10 to 15 range, which they all fit very neatly into a very narrow band there. I think that kind of speaks to the fact that all the subclasses are solid, but they're but no one of them is really like super standout. No one right. of them is oh no this is you know, and we've seen that with other classes before where it's like oh like we're playing a warlock this is the one to pick and this is the one that you never pick. It's not like that with here. Like situationally, any four of these. I know you guys had some misgivings about the alchemist. I think the alchemist could be fun. I could see playing that mad scientist. I could alchemist play it type character. Yeah, and I think that there's some utility in their abilities, especially as they get later into tier two and tier three, when that they can pull out. That's all when that's the alchemist what, starts to come together. Yeah, exactly. Right. Never yeah. Gets so that it just far. takes first tier, second tier. I'm like, man, this yeah. is boring. Yeah, man, you play a battlesmith until level ten, and then you use the Tasha's rule to go ahead and change their subclass. Yeah, that's. And speaking of which, by the way, uh, Mr. Myers, if you would like to change Sprocket's subclass, I bet you that the DM would be friendly. We're all friends here. We can go ahead and do that. I'm content to leave him as an artillerist. I had fun with that. 
Yeah. But I don't know what his final incarnation will be when he's yeah. fully created as a higher world NPC one day. But yeah. we'll see then. Right now, it's all just playtests. Right. Oh, I will right. say, though, that uh, Mike said it well at the end of our class warfare when I, we asked, we were talking to him and we asked him what he thought of an all-artificer party. And he said he thought we showcased really well what the artificers do as an Eberron guy, yeah. which was that they're very versatile. Yes. And they can complement other characters very well. And we each found ways to complement each other, even yep. though we didn't know what we were doing. If you have not checked out that Class Warfare yet, I really strongly recommend checking that out. Mike ran a hell of a scenario for us. If not only because not only does it showcase the artificers well, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. I would recommend going over to YouTube then and you checking the out the video so you get the map and everything like that too. But all that to go ahead and say, we are now bringing our Eberron month to a close. Next week's episode, in fact, we come with a really interesting interview about probably one of my favorite games that I have seen in a long time when we talk with Andy from Pandion Games about his newest game, Bandos Grove, which was a really interesting game. You should very much check it out where we air that interview for you to go ahead and listen to and do a really great discussion on what Bandos Grove is and how it's built and how it runs. Really great interview. I also hope that you are enjoying the playthrough on Tuesdays. We've got our featuring right now Michael Ross's Action 12 Cinema game over on Tuesdays. So make sure you check that out all also, episode two should be airing this coming Tuesday. I would love to remind everybody, visit our website, Tabletop Journeys, which is ttjourneys.com. Right at the top, there's a spot for products and discounts. Click on that for links. You get coupons for our DMs Guild products to include Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. Go there to check that out. Yeah. Get a discount on it. It's a good way to support the show. The other way to support the show would be with our Patreon. We do a lot here. We want to do a lot more. Joining the Patreon does a lot of things for you and for us and for the community. For you, gives you access to monthly games that we run. Gives you early access to episodes. So a lot of fun for our patrons. They get access to a lot of good stuff. We're always on the chats with them. We'd love to have you join us. And again, you help support the show, help us do more of what we're doing. Absolutely. In fact, one of the big benefits that our patrons get is complimentary copies of any book that we put out. As always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate all the support. Appreciate the likes and the subscribes and the comments. We'll be back to you next week. Until then, everybody, have a fantastic week, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks we so much. Good night. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.